Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. Across the Brazos and Waco, ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Across the Brazos and Waco, I'm safe when I reach San Antonio. Welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. We have an old friend of the program on. Uh, you know, so th- we're actually in the, I think the, the fifth year, the fourth year of doing this podcast. And so uh, Ken Haferteep, Dr. Ken Haferteep, I, I won't call him a local treasure because that sounds like he needs to be buried. But Good. <laughs> uh, Ken has contributed a lot to the local community and uh, is well-known in his field uh, of museum studies, but also is, is well-published and well-recognized uh, in the museum community and the historical community in, in Texas and beyond. So thanks, Ken, for coming back on with me. My pleasure. I want to recommend uh, the, the original podcast that actually Randy and I did with Ken way back when, which was Historic Homes of Waco, Texas, which was Ken's first book. Uh, not his first book, but his first book on Waco Homes. Uh, the book that we're going to talk about today, which is very fitting, and I'll tell you why here in just a second, is Historic Buildings of Waco, Texas, which just came out. Uh, and then put on your Christmas list for maybe next year or <laughs> this year, uh, more historic homes of Waco, Texas, which is a follow-up. Will that come out in 24? That should be February of 24. February 24. So historic buildings of Waco, Texas is appropriate right now because we are on uh, what is named the 21st floor, although it's really the 20th floor, right? Can, mm-hmm. there, there was no 13th. I didn't see a 13th coming up. But we are in the Alico uh, building. We are a couple hundred feet uh, up in the Alico building. So I want to start, Ken, with the structural integrity of this building. Uh, <laughs> should I be worried? I think you're in pretty good pretty good standing. Um, the This was an ultra-modern building when it uh, went up which is to say it has a steel frame and then the the walls are actually uh, a veneer of brick which is good for keeping out weather mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, be that rain or heat or whatever um, but it was quite a statement for waco in the early 20th century and the thing that that i enjoyed most was uh seeing the original uh, architect's drawings for the building which are uh, at University of Texas at the Alexander Architectural Archive. Um, they have a, a collection of the drawings of Sanguinet and Stats of Fort Worth, who were the principal uh, designers of the building. And they were actually just getting started in what turned out to be a dominant career as uh, skyscraper designers in Texas. They did skyscrapers in Austin, San Antonio, Houston, uh, Dallas, and some of their some in their home base of Fort Worth. So... Um, Wacoans were pretty 
that they were actually kind of on the early adopter side in terms of of hiring sanguinette stats. But if you've ever been to Sundance Square in Fort Worth, the yeah. Burke Burnett building there is the slightly younger sister of this building. Okay. And has been very nicely restored, I might say. Yeah, it's a be- that's a beautiful building. Um, so this is the oldest historic skyscraper in Texas left, right? I've, I've heard someone boast that before. Um, I've never really thought that entirely yeah. through. Um, the almost exactly the same time in Austin, you get the Littlefield Building at 6th and Congress, and Sanguinette Stats were right across the street with Scarborough Building. I mean, it's mighty close. Yeah, so, <laughs> so 1910 uh, is the start yes. date, I guess. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so it's it's uh, 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 an interesting story, especially because uh, Marshall R. Sanguinette, who was the, the senior member of the firm, had worked uh, for the San Antonio architect, J. Riley Gordon, uh, on a number of his courthouses, including the one up in Waxahachie, which may be Gordon's masterpiece, and Gordon went on to design the McLennan County Courthouse here. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's inter- I, I always find it fascinating seeing the connections uh, of different architects, where Wake Owens went to get their architects, mm-hmm. because it, you know, they, they just weren't, uh, you know, most of the time they were they were happy to employ local architects. But for certain types of buildings like skyscrapers, you you wanted an expert from the outside. Uh, at the same time, you also needed to have someone uh, who was in Waco and able to be watching over the project on a day-to-day basis, which is why Roy E. Lane was involved. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you you hear that, oh, he was the actual designer of the building. And having seen the drawings, <laughs> I can tell you exactly who the pr- people drawing all of the the, uh, um, the the design were, and they were all uh, draftsman for Sanguinette and Stat. I see. But interestingly enough, Roy Lane is listed as associate architect. It's it's um, in a in a way that makes it clear that they really valued his contribution to mm-hmm. it. That you know, a lot of times you you can kind of get lost <laughs> way down on the cornerstone or or whatever. And Lane was very a very new professional at this point, younger than either Sanguinette or Stats, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually probably a, a good gig for him to be overseeing this monumental project. Yeah, and done in about a year. Uh, yes, which is still makes my head spin. That yeah, yeah, it's it's quite remarkable, and and getting the the, the steel the the steel frame up is really mm-hmm. kind of the 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 critical thing there. And I one thing that I try to de-emphasize is the quaintness of the past and you know that mm-hmm. that you know, a victorian house may look quaint and frilly to us but to uh william cameron in, in 1879 you know he's buying the latest thing yeah <laughs> and that that uh, this, the same thing was true here that that you know this was an attempt to uh um, make the statement that Waco is a progressive, forward-looking city. Progressive, not not in the uh, political, political sense, sense yeah. but in in terms of uh, uh, eager to grow, e- eager to become a modern metropolis. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, uh, it probably anticipated that there would be a lot more <laughs> buildings like this around uh, that didn't actually happen. <laughs> As we're looking down on all of the buildings. Uh, yeah, we have a good view uh, up here. Uh, we can kind of see everything because it's unobstructed. 
I think this is about half of the buildings that are in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you could see most of them. Well, you started getting into there some things you talk about in the introduction, kind of an overview and thinking about uh, architecture, uh, architectural um, designs, uh, styles for different buildings, kind of eras of building of, of kind of Waco buildings. And that, again, uh, your definition of, of a, a building is anything that's not a house, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. And that actually, I struggled with that. What do you yeah. call it? Because, in, in fact, a house is a building as yeah. well. But that actually goes back that kind of distinction, in, in my memory at least, my old professor at UT, uh, Drury Blakely Alexander, um, did a book, Texas Homes of the 19th Century, which was in conjunction with an exhibit at the uh, Eamon Carter Museum in Fort Worth. And then the follow-up book to that, which covered all of the other building types, was Texas Public Buildings okay. of the 19th Century by uh, Willard B. Robinson of Texas Tech. So... Um, that just seems to be the, the simplest way <laughs> of, of uh, describing, uh, uh, describing it. Uh, although really, you know, the public aspect of it too is the thing too that, that was useful in, in uh, Willie Robinson's uh, text. But yeah, that, that, that's how that, that came about. Okay. Well, I want to ask Ken, you're, you're a busy professional. You're, you're doing all sorts of different things. I, I think we, we talked in the first podcast about kind of your motivations for doing that work and the timing of doing that work. I guess I'd like to ask you now that you're past the midpoint, we'll say just kind of your thoughts on doing this, uh, maybe the decisions to decision to do the buildings book and, and not go straight to the extension with additional homes and that sort of thing. How's this been? How's it been received? Those questions. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. In, in terms of, why buildings first? I think that uh, it seemed to be the natural follow-up mm -hmm. to historic homes. And what I learned as I was doing it is that there were still a lot of interesting homes that hadn't made it into yeah. um, the, the first historic homes book, where really there, you know, there were 120 and you had to stop somewhere. Um, but as I kept reading and uh, digging, out, digging into more uh, archival sources, uh, it just became clear that there were a lot of other interesting uh, uh, houses that could be included. Um, that being said, um, you know, there, it, it was pretty clear that there needed to be the, the public building side mm -hmm. done as well. That, that um, as, as had been the case with, with, with Waco houses, there was uh, sometimes confusion about who the architects were or who was really contributing the design and, and things of, of that nature. And some things that had just never been discussed at all. So you just drive by this old building and wonder, well, what the heck is that? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so there's the answer to a lot of those what the heck questions yeah. in this volume. Well, I would imagine you driving through the Waco landscape now. <laughs> Maybe you know too much. <laughs> True, yes. Uh, time, time to bury some of those secrets. The... Yeah, the one of the I don't know if I've said this out loud before, so I'll tell you and and uh, our listeners that that the idea behind historic buildings, uh, historic homes, actually, was the idea of combining a windshield tour with uh, an architectural guidebook 
and a little bit of a traditional architectural history. A guidebook would be uh, arranged by geography so that you could, could go by, drive down a street and see what's, what's around. Um, and, and so it wasn't one of the typical things, but I wanted it, I, I wanted it to be that way, especially because a lot of things I was discovering just by driving around yeah. and saying, I wonder what the heck yeah. <laughs> that building looks old and interesting. Uh, what's, what's the story with, with, uh, with that. And so, um, that, that was actually how a lot of the, um, the houses of historic black Wacoans were discovered. And that was kind of a struggle. Yeah. Um, because, because of the, 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 the roadblocks and, and barriers that black Wacoans faced, um, a lot of their, their homes were smaller and uh, not as expensively built. And so they don't necessarily survive to the same rate which was actually true even for uh, Waco's black ministers. Yeah. Um, but once, once I got beyond that, um, just driving around, for example, in the era, area around the old Paul Quinn College, mm-hmm. it turns out that there are houses of black Wacoans who worked in a variety of capacities, either at Paul Quinn or in support, or even parents of Paul Quinn students. And so... That was a and and so that was going in with the intentional notion of looking for a, 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 a part of Waco that had not been discussed before, but also the the, the critical thing was what was there that was left. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so out of that, you know, the uh, there are many buildings, many houses in the, the first volume that were. Um, uh, houses of middle class to upper middle class white people. It was not, you know, there's sort of a, a, a notion of East Waco as being the black side of town, which is confused in a couple of senses. The, the most important part of, of historically black Waco is the area, Waco North, of uh, Waco Drive yeah. and uh, the, the area where New Hope Baptist Church is. Yeah. And then a secondary, and also very important, was in East Waco, or in the area around Paul Quinn, which came there at a pretty uh, pretty early date. Um, so there, there are multiple areas, but people don't realize the importance of the, the North Waco black neighborhood because it was so, so badly erased by urban renewal. Yeah. So that's one of the challenges that you fa- uh, face in writing a writing a book like this. But the whole the whole idea too was for both of these books to um, write about buildings that you can see yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and drive by, maybe go inside. And uh, so um, you know that that is in a way, you know, you, you could say it's aimed for a tourist market of, of, of people who are curious about Waco coming for the first time. But, you know, in a lot of the feedback that I've gotten on uh, uh, both books, uh, a lot of people who are lifelong Wacoans are pleasantly surprised to see uh, the, the city's historic buildings being taken seriously yeah. and studied. And so, so that's kind of gratifying this, and, and people being astonished that the entire city was not demolished by the 1953 tornado, yeah. um, which was definitely uh, not, not the case. So the, the irony is doing the 
basing the book on extant buildings, which of course allows for my glorious color photographs. Too, oh, if yeah. I may, if and, I may put in a plug. And I, it doesn't say photo credit below every photo, which it <laughs> no, should. No, it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think that was an aesthetic decision on the part of uh, <laughs> Texas A&M Press. But um, yeah, I don't even know if it's on the title page, to tell you the truth. I don't Is think it, it tells sort us. sort of flipping. Who took the pictures. We're, I'm so modest, it's all. <laughs> all, uh, all I can say as, as far as that. Um, yep, just well, it doesn't say words by Kenneth Averton either, so <laughs> it's the whole darn the whole darn thing. Uh-huh. Um, but the 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 one thing that I don't like about that decision that I made was that um, basically it's one and done for each building, sure, <laughs> and so and and it's a current view yeah. as as nice of you as as I can make it, and I tried very hard to eliminate things that are not of the period of the building when taking the photograph. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But um, the, the other thing that's, that, that I feel like I tied my own hands was that it doesn't allow for historic photos or uh, architect's drawings. And there's a wonderful set of drawings uh, of the, the Alico uh, building. And so... You know, it is what it is, but it actually still leaves an opening for someone else down the line to to do uh, an, an additional book on weekend. Yeah, but but can I? I mean, I, I think what you've done. I mean, if you would have gone, in, I know your expertise. If you had gone into interiors, if you had gone into historic photographs and historic views of this change and that change, I mean, you, I mean, we're, we're talking in a book of this length you would have gotten through a fourth of the homes mm-hmm. that are the buildings that you're talking about. So it is such a wonderful kind of reference piece and the way that's, that it's organized. Well, thank you. You know, I think it calls it for would further have, investigations. Yeah. So, it probably yeah. would have gone from a coffee table book to a doorstop book. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know that we, exactly. Want to, we want to go there. Exactly. Well, let's jump in and talk about it. And I, I was saying how I admire your, how you organized it. Um, the uh, historic buildings book because uh, we've basically got uh, seven different sections. And so uh, you give your overview uh, and I don't know if there's anything else you want to make sure we get in the overview before we move into no, I, talking I about these categories. Done, I think okay. we've done a pretty good job. I think we can dive on in. Uh, houses of worship. Uh, you're a good Christian. So you put houses of worship uh, first, Part, possibly because uh, these are, these are the oldest buildings, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, yes and no. Yeah. Uh, the 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 first building in there is actually the oldest building in Waco, yeah. which is St. Paul's Episcopal Church. But we do have uh, buildings in the chapter that are from the early 1960s, so it covers a pretty yeah uh, broad span. And just out just out of the nature of the sort of data that I was drawing on for this, as opposed to historic homes, uh, I was able to push the end date a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, historic homes things things uh, pretty much ended right at the beginning of World War One, so 1940-41. And the uh, with these, it was not my sources weren't as tied to uh, the U.S. Census, which at the time I was writing historic homes, uh, we had the 1940 census. Now we also have the 1950 census. Mm-hmm. So someone else can 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 hop in hop in there. But it was just a different different. Uh, body of evidence that I was using. So it was easier to spread 
uh, in into the, the later decades a little more. It and looks like it's about a 50-year, everything in here is kind of at least 50-plus years old. I'm scary yeah. to think, but yeah. yes, that's okay. true. That's uh, right. There's some <laughs> stuff from the early 70s, very early 70s. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that about that about finishes it off as 1971, something like that. Well, I don't I don't want to go entry by entry because yeah. I want folks to buy the book. <laughs> uh, but I'm interested in as you looked into uh, these houses of worship, maybe some things that stood out to you from uh, the stories uh, of some of these buildings. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's it's an interesting story um, in that the. Um, the different uh, congregations of Waco were quite keen to make statements in the landscape mm-hmm. of their uh, of their buildings, and it's probably not surprising that the Episcopalians were first off, <laughs> uh, as 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 far as that. And rather interestingly, they chose an architect not only from out of town but also from out of state and from New England, mm-hmm. a guy by the name of William Pitt Wentworth. In fact, probably the earliest research that I did on this book uh, happened in the spring of 2000, which was right after I had my job interview at Baylor. And uh, my colleague, my Baylor colleague Ellie Caston, took me to Sunday service at St. Paul's and gave me a little historical brochure. And it's like, uh, oh, this was designed by a Boston architect, <laughs> William Pitt Wentworth. And so when I went back for uh, my uh uh, final several months uh, at Historic Deerfield in Massachusetts. Um, I, I took, took a couple trips into Boston, during which time I was able to look up uh, a couple of, of other churches by Wentworth, uh, including one on, uh, one on Cape Cod and one in Roxbury, Mass., and, and the like. And so it was interesting comparing what, what he was doing in uh, Massachusetts as opposed to what he did mm. here. Uh, and part of that is that Waco was still a young and unsettled community yeah. <laughs> in uh, 1878, 79. And we don't have any evidence that Wentworth actually came to Waco. So sort of, you know, uh, get, get to the drawing table and pray to God that the site is flat that you're going to be designing <laughs> for and or have someone draw a rough sketch. And, of course, it's right next to uh, Barron's Creek. So mm-hmm. um, that that could have uh, created a bit, of a, a bit of a challenge. But it was in- interesting realizing that even in in that very early context when Waco was uh, not quite 30 years old, that they were actually shipping in the stained glass and some of the fittings, mm-hmm. <laughs> the pulpit and 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 the like uh, from New York City. Wow. and and the 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 reason that it's New York rather than Boston is that Wentworth, had what we had done, what we would call his apprenticeship uh, in New York, uh, New York City, work, working for a, an English architect named Henry uh, Dudley, um, who did Gothic revival uh, churches uh, in the Northeast and also some in uh, in the South as well in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, for example. So he he was working for someone who specialized in churches and and probably knew the guys who were making the pulpit and, and the the stained glass in, in their shop in uh, in New York City. So I, I'm finding that more and more interested. Uh, I'm getting more and more interested in the sort of construction layer of yeah. this. That you know you have the architect who creates the beautiful drawings, but somebody's got to make it real. Yeah. yeah. And so just who are these guys and what are what are they doing and how did the materials get to get to Waco and 
and the, the, the like. So those, those uh, issues uh, intrigue me a lot. But in another, just to, to jump to a completely different era, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I was fascinated by the story of St. Francis on the Brazos Catholic yeah. Church. And uh, really, that's a, a church that's founded specifically because of, first, the Mexican Revolution, mm-hmm. <laughs> the immigration of a lot of people seeking mm-hmm. peace and prosperity coming across the border, and many of them settling in Waco, and that the cheapest place to live is the, the neighborhood formerly known as the Reservation, yeah. which um, rapidly became Calle Dos yeah. <laughs> instead, of, instead of Second Street. So there was very clearly a Spanish-speaking, um, working-class uh, um, group of people who needed to be uh, 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 preached to. And interestingly enough, it was the Franciscan order that, that was, was sent to do that, which is probably the reason why there's this strange and interesting story of trying to fashion the church on Mission San Jose in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very striking. And uh, this is another area where, ooh, if I just had room for one or two more pictures, they're actually in the Roy Lane papers over at the Texas collection at Baylor. There are a couple of sketches that he did uh, early on in this process because he actually went to San Antonio to study the missions and most notably Mission San Jose. And um, that that was the inspiration for the um, the the earliest the earliest example. And I, the reason I find that so remarkable is that when he took that trip in 1928, San Jose was a ruin. Oh. It did not have a roof. Oh, it did wow. not have a dome. And so part part of what he was doing was studying the ruins. Another thing was studying the historic photographs, sort of like I do or any architectural historian did of what it used to look like. And so some of his early plans, there was going to be a dome that looked like the one that no longer existed in 1928. So the the, the audacity <laughs> of what Roy Lane and the, the parish of St. Francis uh, was doing then is kind of obscured by the fact that in the, the next 10 years, the building was reconstructed and restored uh, using money from Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. And so now it's like, oh, what's the big deal? <laughs> you know, there's, there's this perfectly fine building standing there and easy to, 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 to model that. But it was a different kettle of fish when Roy Lane mm-hmm. was doing it. He kind of had to do his own architectural history uh, because there really weren't books on architectural history uh, in, in Texas. So he was kind of on his own as far as that. But it's interesting, too, that, that, that um, the uh, drawings show... Uh, other quotations from San Jose that ended up being value engineered out. In other words, budget cuts mm-hmm. came came into the into the fort. So that there was going to be a little projection on the Waco North side that would have a uh, a beautiful broke window like what what's called Rosa's window and and on the original Mission San Jose. Um, that ended up being taken out. The window was actually applied onto the south side wall, which actually is, you can see it a lot better from Jefferson Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you see a variety of, of changes. Uh, on top of that, inside, uh, it, the, 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 there's a barrel vault with a series of stained glass um, 
sort of dormer windows, which has nothing to do at all with San Jose. It's, okay. it's just sort of, you know, the, it's the image of the exterior that Lane was, was going on uh, recreating. And there's also a whole series of remarkable murals that are painted on the inside. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, those, the, the, the ones around the altar, were done by a professional Italian painter. <laughs> he was an Italian professional painter. He wasn't a professional Italian um, <laughs> But uh, who was from uh, had had studied in Rome, came and and settled in uh, New Jersey, painted churches up there. So I'm not sure how they made the connection with him. But he ends up coming down, uh, uh, painting the, the the paintings on the altar at a later date, uh, just after World War II. A painter uh, named Barcelo, who was from the uh, island of Mallorca, comes and paints the Stations of the Cross that really mm-hmm. dominate the interior of. The, the church. So it's interesting seeing these figures from far, far away, where the altar itself was was uh, was uh, made in San Antonio by Rodriguez brothers, who had the the, the funerary monument <laughs> uh, concession, so we say, on the uh, the west side. In fact, that's a business that's still going oh, wow. uh, today. But it's very has a nice little label on its mm-hmm. uh, on on the side there, and so uh, and. Um, but at the same time, you had uh, Fred Simon of Waco Artstone uh, providing a lot of the, the ornamental de- decoration, and uh, Carl Trouchold, who uh, was just starting out in the woodworking business, provided the, the altar pews. And so it's actually an extremely well-documented building, and so that makes me very happy when I can uh, look at uh, all the different people who came together to, to make a building like that possible. So I hope that people will enjoy uh, that sort of story too, because it, it is a very rich story, and all the different sorts of of, of people who uh, were were involved in it. And both uh, Trouchold and Simon were uh, German Catholics, and so mm-hmm. I assume that they were going to St. Mary's. Yeah. Um, but so so it's interesting, you know, keeping track of that aspect uh, as well. Yeah, and, and I would say if there's a if there's a um building in this book you need to go in <laughs> if you have never been in it it's a beautiful st francis is a beautiful building it's quite remarkable that the the uh, comment you made earlier that i think is interesting as a historian is you know new hope st francis even first baptist these are kind of markers in time of the community that they served and then you see waco kind of shifting and changing around it even some of the buildings you're talking about, the purposes of them is changing over time. Yes, but yeah. definitely. It, it's interesting seeing the, the dynamics of that. And, you know, part part of what happens in the, the, the long run is that, that a lot of these congregations face the challenges of suburbanization, mm-hmm. that that's drawing off a lot of, of, of people who would be in the congregation. And, you know, and, and one of the other old phrases is white flight, yeah. that... that that, that, that white people are uh, uneasy about the increasing diversity uh, of uh, what becomes known as the inner city. Um, although, you know, a black friend of mine has pointed out, well, there was black flight too. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that you see that in some of the, the historic congregations um, uh, here, like uh, St. James, where the, the number of people had dwindled to the point that they really didn't have the ability to raise the funds to keep keep uh take care of what what's a very interesting and historic building Mm -hmm. um and you know there's a possibility that that you know we may face something like that with new hope 
uh, yeah. Baptist church yeah. as as well. And both of those are quite quite remarkable buildings. The the um, Saint James is is another interesting story and has a, a San Antonio connection as well. Uh, it it has a very detailed uh, cornerstone to it and uh, specifically names the architect of the building, and that was Adams and Adams of San Antonio. And they were a pretty well-known architectural firm and had designed the big house at the King Ranch just a few years before. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> um, and, but it turns out that they also did work in San Antonio for St. Paul's Methodist, which is one of the prominent black congregations on the, the near east side of San Antonio, which is actually the, the elder sister of our St. James. Uh, uh, different colored brick, but with the, the same sort of Tudor Gothic style, the, the twin octagonal towers in front. And the, the man who was the, uh, the contractor for St. Paul's in San Antonio um, actually ended up moving to Waco and was the contractor for St. James here. Um, which, which is really interesting to think of, uh, uh, to, to think of someone like that being involved with two very prominent um, uh, uh, black churches um, here in, in Texas. So, mm-hmm. so that was a pretty cool aspect as well. Yeah, and, and that process, uh, I like, you know, since you brought your timeline up a little bit, you can also follow that process of suburbanization a little bit with yes. the Methodist on Cobb and even mm. even St. Albans, which is yes. pushing out towards Castle Heights and those subdivisions there. Yeah. Yes, and yeah, and and first Methodist is an interesting story as well. And in fact, the 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 drawings for First Methodist are also in the Alexander Architectural Archive at UT. And I went down to uh, to to see them. And um, so the, 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 the curators there handed it to me and says, well, here they are. And the first thing that I saw uh, was that in addition to the, the, the drawings for the current church building, there was a blueprint. And I said, well, what's this? I don't know. We unrolled it, and it was a blueprint for a Gothic revival steeple. And it was the rebuild of the steeple after the tornado of 1953, <laughs> And signed by Birch D. Easterwood, who yeah. um, had uh, had uh, been an architect in Waco since the teens, and um, had designed many uh, Waco houses and many other buildings that, that showed up in 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 this book, including buildings at Baylor. So he was a busy boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes there's confusion uh, that that the, the tornado had destroyed Fifth Street Methodist, and it certainly. Uh, did significant damage in knocking down its uh, tower, but they stayed in that building for another ten years. But they were very—I think it was probably a new generation of the congregation—and that they they were quite keen to, uh, to to find a new home that was closer to sort of the new suburban center. And so uh, the move of uh, First Methodist. You know, it's coming at the same time that Lake Air is developing. Yeah. And so those, those two are really side by side. And uh, it's, it's remarkable in that the, the decision was so successful <laughs> that it actually obscures the original 1962-63 uh, building because at, it, 
the, it's a congregation that has continued to grow. Yeah. And as a result, the, the, the steeple was designed in 1962, although not erected until 1975, uh, 76. But the original... Uh, um, worship space is now the children's worship space and you can barely see <laughs> it's very hard to, to get a sense of that but you know there and there's the large and very impressive uh space uh beyond that and um you know I, it's it's good to hold on to the, the the site and at the same time you kind of lose touch with some of you know the the early days but you know how do you deal with success uh <laughs> yeah. is 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 the issue there and um you know the their education wing has expanded all the way over uh to uh lake air drive so it's it's just been a, a story a remarkable story and i actually uh did um that that was another one where the, the overall view allows you to get the, the impressive stainless steel steeple, mm-hmm. um, but you don't see uh, the original entrance with its sort of modern stained glass and, and the like. Um, so, you know, it, there, there are times, uh, one, once again, where it's like, ooh, two pictures would have been really helpful here, <laughs> but you win some, you lose some. And, and of course, part of the, uh, the hope of, of a book like this, it will is that it will encourage people to get out and see more of Waco, yeah. and that there is uh, a lot to uh, a lot to see. Well, I'm realizing I should have done seven episodes with you <laughs> on each chapter. We can't really. We, we, we got to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing putting them together, I think, was interesting. In churches is how many churches were built in the 20s. I mean, just mm-hmm. this window. There's a 10 year period there where most of the churches that you have in here are constructed. It's a a real boom period Mm -hmm. for Waco, which is quite, which I I think was really uh, very evident in historic homes too. Just, just how many of those and the, the, you know, not the creation. Well, I guess it was the creation of Castle Heights um, and, and some of the other neighborhoods that are now historic, but, but growing quite rapidly. And um, yeah. And, and, you see Baylor really growing uh, in, at a rapid pace, and you begin to get new and modern dormitories, the Old Brooks Hall and uh, Women's Memorial Dormitory. Really sort of the, the, that, that work in the, th- the 20s and even into the, the 30s in spite of the Depression. You know, Baylor is, is slowly but deliberately building and you know, creating the, the launching pad for a much larger Baptist university. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was one of the, you know, one of the interesting aspects of the, the chapter on colleges. And uh, Birch Easterwood uh, has a breakout <laughs> yeah, yeah. in, in the, uh, the, the colleges chapter as well. Although he also did uh, um, uh, some, some churches. He did the Liberty Bank Building, which is uh, uh-huh. uh, just a little bit up uh, Austin Avenue from the Alico yeah. uh, building. So he, he ends up. Uh, uh, his role as really basically the official Baylor architect for the colonial revival from Brooks Dormitory up, up through and including um, uh, Pat Neff Hall. Um, he was really quite, quite critical in, in providing that sort of imagery, which still exists in, in sort of oh, yeah. ghostly memory yeah. in, in more, more recent buildings. 
Is uh, do we have his collection? I mean, do we have his papers and things at Texas Collection? There is not a collection. Okay. okay. <laughs> I I have met his grandson, who's uh-huh. a third generation architect. Oh wow. uh, Lives in 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 Fort Worth, um, and I don't know that I th- think a lot of the papers just got thrown away, okay. in spite of the fact that um, he Easterwood after. Uh, after Patton F. Hall, ended up moving to Fort Worth. And so his only Baylor building after that was Tidwell Bible Building, Mm -hmm. which is another interesting story. Um, But he uh, did uh, quite a few uh, Baptist churches all around Texas, including the the, the one out in Gatesville. He did Mm -hmm. the First Baptist Church in Galveston, which is really quite prominent near the Rosenberg Library. Um, So... uh, uh, although his association with Baylor really pretty much came to an end, he still had a, a close association with, with, with Baptists elsewhere. Okay. Well, uh, let's jump in. Commercial buildings. I, I've already decided, Ken, we're going to do a part two of this <laughs> at some point, but I want to make gain a little more ground if you're willing to come back. Yeah, for sure. Part. Okay. Sure, sure. Uh, one of my favorite buildings that I, have, that I have great hopes for, uh, the Cornish building, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I think is a – is a canvas there that something wonderful could be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, many known known as the Kessner uh, Building on Elm uh, yes. Avenue, and so I, uh, that leads off your commercial buildings chapter. Talk a little bit about that uh, structure. Yeah, well, it's um, a pretty nicely uh, preserved commercial uh, store. Um, oddly enough, the most important thing I did research wise in 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 uh, working on that building was to look up. And notice that at the very top it says Cornish Building. Yeah. And it's like, who the heck is Cornish? <laughs> it's always been Kessner's. Yeah. And that's what it was from, I guess it was 1914 or something like that, 1913. And, um, but, but actually I had to dig in and find out who the, the Cornish family were and what they were doing and mm-hmm. that they had been involved in, in uh, Waco real estate. And so um, the, uh, it, it was actually built as two stores. And so the main change that, that happened to it was that the uh, party wall in the middle was taken down, a new staircase put in, and a single central door. Okay. So, uh, which, you know, as, as things go, that's really not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the worst thing that, that happens to you as a, a building. Although it also had mezzanine windows, which I, I love to see them in old timey Texas stores where they're, you know, oftentimes there's an awning, which shades the building from a lot of direct sunlight, but then there'll be a squarish row of windows, a row of squarish windows um, that, um, that, that light wafts into the structures. And a lot of times those do get uh, covered over as, as has happened in the case of, uh, of Kessner's. But the one time that I've been inside the building, I noticed that by golly, those, those windows are actually still leaning against a wall on the ground floor. So oh, wow. there's, there's, you can either put them back or fabricate exact duplicates because they are there, but it's going to take deep pockets, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I hope those windows are restored. That yeah. Keep fingers crossed, but that's, that's our oldest commercial building that we have here in Wayne. And then uh, which contrast some information I received, which mm-hmm. is a bit of low-level <laughs> controversy mm-hmm. that you 
address in the book about Clinton Grocery, that that building, because I have heard before that that's the oldest commercial building. But your research yeah, says no. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty comfortable about about yeah. that, that. That it's not that it's super duper old. We're talking 1897 as opposed to to 1901, and really gen, generally generationally, they're they're quite close, uh, even to being two commercial buildings, uh, two commercial spaces set within one. Uh, store, I think Kestner's probably has is a little more exuberantly mm-hmm. Victorian. Oh yeah, than than the Clinton Building. So but the Clinton Grocery is six hundred elm there yes. on the corner. Yes, yeah. and you know it's it's very. I'm going to say it's very businesslike. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. It's for businesses, but <laughs> um, businesslike in the sense that it's not wasting a lot of of money on. You know, frivolous ornamentation or anything like that, and you know, sometimes it's it's fun seeing. You know, I'll use phase, phase, phrases like, you know, this is what what Waco looks like when it rolls up its sleeves and get to get to work. I mean, uh, that's the, why you're a published author. It's uh, phrases absolutely. like that. Yeah, those yeah. those colorful turns of phrases. But like, you know, the the building that's um, uh, was uh, the Percy Medicine building, uh-huh. that, uh, Baby Percy, which is in here uh, as as well, and which has actually changed hands since uh, this was written. So yeah, it's oh my first, my, <laughs> my my first, and I tried actually um, to acknowledge uh, the title of each building was as close as I could get to its historic title, mm. and then if there was something that was compelling uh, about uh, a later occupant, I would just put, you know, in parentheses, later. Uh, like the Texas Fireproof Storage Building right. is a good example of that. Yes, absolutely. Now and the Balconis. Yeah, little did you know that you could yeah. go get get a high-end whiskey. Is it still uh, fireproof is the question. Ah, yeah. yeah, boy. Imagine imagine that nowadays. Because there's fuel in there. And the uh, <laughs> the the interesting thing about that building, too, and one of the things that, and this gets back to the sort of Waco boom of the 20s, um, is that, you know, that building uh, is linked to someone who built an impressive home that's in historic homes of Waco. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted, I wanted to, to do cross-references, cross shout-outs, if you will, uh, to the owners of, um, of, of a, a business. And, well, what did they... What did they build with that? The, the profits from their successful business, and so uh, that was certainly the the case with uh, the, the Albaws. Um, Roy Alba was the the owner of that that uh, building that's now uh, Balconies, and his house is on uh, Colcord at Twenty Second. Very uh, mm-hmm. very impressive. So I wanted wanted people to be able to see. Okay, well, person built this business, and what where how did they live? How did the person who swept the floors in their building live? And there, uh, there will be a few of those in uh, more historic homes. Uh, one of the smallest Waco houses I've, I've come across. So um, that was was something that I that I was keen to emphasize. That even though they're separate books, you get a better understanding oftentimes out of what uh, by 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 bouncing back and forth between the two. Or the twenties was also when the boom was happening with automobiles. Um, mm-hmm. there, there were s- some autos earlier. But you begin to get auto showrooms being built in uh, Waco. A lot of them uh, on Austin Avenue. You begin to have filling stations, yeah. gas stations. Yeah, and so uh, 
I have uh, a couple in here, and there there could very easily have, have been more. It's kind of surprising when you when you. Well, find, I, I love mag- the inclusion of Magnolia filling station. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's rather include. Yeah. Yes, rather yeah, Magnolia, the original name of uh, of Mobile back in the uh, back in the day. But yeah, the the Merrick Medicine Company uh, was the the one that more recently has been the findery. And so it's very prominently labeled on their awning now. And so I have Merrick Medicine Company, in parentheses later, the findery. And of course, I, it's it's good to say, you know, uh, later rather than now the findery, because you never know. They yeah. might change locations and yeah. the, the, the like. So capturing a specific moment in Waco's history. That's right. When we write this. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting, these uh, commercial buildings. So Magnolia... Uh, gas station is later. Uh, it's um, Mama and Papa Bears Barbecue, right? Yes, it is. Is that the? Is that the? <laughs> I get the name right. Off yes, the top of my and head? it's yeah. a little. It, that that one's a little harder to 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 recognize as a gas station because the service bay was infilled, so that's now part of the yeah uh, in, interior. But yeah, and and of course we have uh, the the golf station that's on Washington. Uh-huh, which has been, been nicely restored. Yeah, nicely so, restored. Yeah, so that's that's kind of delightful to have that. Uh, um, I, I'll that ask in, in this, Ken. Did you did you talk to? Um, I don't know if I ask you this with this. How much engagement you had with the owners of the homes? But when, some of these are, you know, s- small. Some of these are big companies mm-hmm. uh, where you wouldn't have as much access. But like small little. Uh, buildings like this that we're talking about did you interact much with the owners and yeah it really varies it's Mm -hmm. kind of dumb luck which comes out of uh sometimes i can be introverted (laughs) and and not really wanting to push myself on to people it's a lot easier to do churches which tend to be open sure uh on a, a much more regular basis it really depended on on whether there was some you know way in which we reached out or someone that i knew knew someone that they knew and the um the like I wanted to be a little cautious about being too, I didn't want to be too close to the owners necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, you, you can kind of make, you know, ad, become an advocate for your house or your sure. building or, or whatever. So that that can be a little tricky as far as that. But at the same time, you know, I've, I've, been welcomed by many homeowners and and building owners in and uh, in Waco and seeing uh, seeing what they've done. Well, none of your commercial buildings descriptions read like an ad, <laughs> which is really which, which could be a not pull even, here, right? You not know? even for realtors. <laughs> yeah. so. Fine food, great service. You know, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't doesn't talk about yes, that. excellent Yelp reviews. Uh, one one uh, building I want to talk about before we leave the commercial section, and then I, I sure. think we'll break for part two. Uh, I've always thought Saks Austin Avenue is really interesting, and, and also representative of this phenomenon we were talking about earlier as Waco kind of changes. I see it as kind of the uh, first kind of move out of the commercial district of downtown and, and talk a little bit about that. And of course, folks don't know it by Saks Austin Avenue. Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, I didn't know it as Saks Austin Avenue until mm-hmm. I started writing this. The, uh, uh, I knew it and still, still know it as Seronia, named for the uh, Madison Cooper uh, novel. But, um, 
it, it had always struck me as being unusual and uh, uh, an unusual design for Weka. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that it was a, a, a company that was actually a refugee from downtown after the 1953 tornado. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was the Sachs family and they had originally been on the square. And so their, their, their building was, was seriously damaged in the tornado. And so they made the huge, huge jump all the way to the 1500 block of, of Austin. <laughs> uh, even, even before that, there's, there's the La Savia's grocery store, which is that sort of white art deco building uh-huh. that's about a block up. And they were originally just off the square and quite explicitly in 1938-39 said in the newspaper that they, they, they were concerned that, that downtown Waco was getting too congested mm. and that, that their customers were find, finding it difficult to park their cars. And so, you know, it doesn't seem like an insane jump to go from 4th Street to 15th Street, um, but... Um, in, in fact, one of the, the big advantages to that was that it was a lot easier to park your car. And back to Saks Fifth Avenue, that was designed. There were actually two blocks and then with that carport yeah. in the middle. And so there was a dedicated parking lot that, that came with that as well. So it's interesting tracking all those ways in which Waco architecture changes to accommodate the, the automobile, gas stations, showrooms, Parking lots, drive-ins for banks. Of, yeah. Uh, in fact, the old first federal savings uh, building, the, the 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 very high colonial revival first federal uh, savings, uh, even has a drive-in window in colonial style. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it, it's interesting uh, seeing you know Waco embracing modernity, but sometimes wanting to to put the tri-corner hat on the yeah on the top. Yeah. Now, I, I know I keep just one more in you, but uh, connected to that, that that group you're talking about is also, uh, I see the elite kind of organized around yes. the automobile uh, diners. Very and, yeah, much yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, and that was actually the second location of the elite because mm-hmm. the original had been uh, downtown in Austin Avenue. And so... But uh, I know you made a big contribution here in looking into the designer of that building out on the circle yeah. and not, not much of that had been done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, uh, uh, delightfully surprised, uh, to, uh, discover that the oral history Institute had, uh, a, what was that again? Where yes, wh- the oral history Institute at, at Baylor, Baylor university. Okay, great. Yeah. And that they had uh, interviewed the, uh, the owner of the elite, and I had looked through newspapers and all, looking who was the designer of that building because it's a fairly, I mean, it makes a statement on mm-hmm. the, the circle. And by golly, you know, on the, the interview, not only does he say that it was Herman F. Kaysen, he spells the guy's last name. <laughs> <laughs> so C-A-S-O-N. So, okay, uh-huh. got it, sir. <laughs> and it was interesting because Kaysen is really kind of uh, one of the breakout figures in this volume in a way that Bert Easterwood was in volume one. I don't think anyone knows who Herman F. Kaysen was, but he did St. John's Methodist Church, okay. 18th Street and Bosky, which is a, a very nice uh, uh, neoclassical design. Um, he was uh, in the 30s, worked for the Civilian Conservation Corps and designed the, uh, the buildings in Mother Neff State Park. 
um, oh, uh, in, wow. including uh, con- changing the water tower into that lookout tower. Yeah. And uh, the, the concession pavilion uh, that's now sort of in the flood zone, but a lovely building. So a, a lot of Waco and Central Texas iconic structures. Um, he, he was the, the guy behind the design. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. And so uh, in, in terms of the, the, the elite cafe, it was certainly, um, you know, oriented towards the circle, which it's clear that he saw that as, as a design challenge because do you just plop a, a box? How does a box relate to a circle? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, will, will, will it be able to, to rest? So, so interestingly enough, he comes up with this idea of an octagonal tower and that becomes uh, the, the meeting place of two L's so that, it is actually an angled design, so really, really quite subtle, mm-hmm. and um, and and successful. And then uh, using the Spanish colonial style, which had become very popular uh, in Waco and in in the southern U.S. from California to Florida in the twenties and thirties. And so it's it's one of the, the the more interesting versions of that that here, um, you know. And by the time it, it, you get to the late late nineties, or when I came to Waco in two thousand. You know, the interior had pretty much gone away. It, yeah. had, it had been remodeled so many times that, and and you know, it had been basically a simple roadside diner. So yeah. it was never they, they they invested all the money on the outside to encourage people to to come sure. in. Um, so, you know, the the you know Elvis had left the building, and the original interior had <laughs> left the building. Um, but in the, the, the way in which it was adapted to become, uh, the, uh, Magnolia table, uh, you know, I think, think it really is pretty appropriate. Mm-hmm. The, the, the most dramatic change that they made was the insertion of the clear story windows on the top of, of the two wings, which actually sort of echo where the sign saying elite cafe <laughs> had uh-huh. been in, in neon. So that was kind of subtle. It, it really lightens and enlivens the space inside, which is, you know, it's a new thing, mm-hmm. but, you know, it manages to, to preserve the exterior character while creating, you know, a pretty successful new interior. Yeah. So, yeah. But you can still see um, its period. In yeah. It. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, you've been generous with your time, so I'm going to make you come back. I'm going to play upon your generosity and make you come back. But, uh, listener, do this uh, before part two comes out. Go get your copy uh, of Historic Buildings of Waco, Texas, uh, wherever great books are sold. Uh, And next time when we we do uh, episode two, you can listen along with us and, and turn your pages and see the pictures of uh, these structures that we're talking about that are so important. And as, as Ken and I end, we're looking out the window again uh, to see this uh, panorama of Waco from uh, Rogue Media Studios at the top of the Alico building. So thank you, uh, Dr. Hayferty, for joining me today. Well, thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. 
Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. Thank you.